You are listening to episode 214 of This is Type 1. This episode is releasing on September 19th, 2023, in honor of my 28th anniversary. So I'm sharing 28 lessons from 28 years with type 1 diabetes. And this is part one, the first 14 lessons. Let's just dive right in. Number one, self-kindness solves more problems than self-judgment about how I handle an unfavorable blood sugar. So be nice to yourself. It works way better than judging yourself. Number two, what works for one type 1 diabetic might not necessarily work for another person with type 1 diabetes. This is why it is key to experiment with everything, to find out what works for you, even if that thing might not work for someone else. Number three, every second of frustration, effort, time, and energy that we spend fighting for our coverage with insurance or third-party suppliers is worth it. Number four, the community is more than willing to help, but we can't help if you don't ask for help. Number five, people with type 1 diabetes as friends are some of the best friends you can have. Number six, type 1 diabetes can cause trauma. It can be little t or big t trauma, depending on your experience, but there is no getting around the possibility that type 1 diabetes can be a traumatic experience. I had two seizures in 2002, and I'm 100% sure that those were traumatic for my parents and my sister, even though I have no recollection of either experience, just the aftermath. It's also traumatic to be diagnosed as a teenager or in adulthood, because you're losing the life you knew before and there is no going back. I will not argue with anyone who says type 1 diabetes is hard, or that it traumatized them, or that they hate it. Every response to type 1 diabetes trauma is valid regardless if there might be a healthier way to deal with it. Now, if you're interested more on trauma, I recommend two books. The first is called The Body Keeps the Score by Dr. Bessel van der Kolk. And the second one is called The Myth of Normal by Gaber Mate. And I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that correctly, but it's G-A-B-O-R-M-A-T-E and the E has like a little chicka on it. So those are the two books that I highly recommend on trauma if you're more interested in learning about those. Number seven, big pharma and the government health agencies will and have lied to you. That's the American Diabetes Association, the FDA, uh, like the alphabet soup people out there. There is no one size fits all recommendation for type 1 diabetes other than you need insulin. For the most part, doctors don't know more about your body than you do since they don't live in your body. Of course, they can diagnose conditions and identify how symptoms relate to each other and all that kind of thing. But if you don't trust what your body is telling you and you don't tell that doctor that your body is telling you something, then something's going to go wrong. The more trust you have in yourself to be able to advocate for yourself to those people, the healthier you'll be, and in the long run, it might even save your life. And I'll talk a little bit more about that later. The other thing here is that the link between diet and biodiversity is mostly ignored. And we can get around this by taking responsibility for our health and being willing to experiment with literally everything we can. There's a great TED Talk out there about biodiversity, about they ran this experiment where they gave a bunch of different people the same diets. 
And they measured people's different biological responses to those diets. It got wild swings. So if you know somebody who can have ice cream and they're not really affected that much, like their blood sugar might rise slowly, peak not very high, and then come back down. But you, if you have ice cream, you skyrocket like you're on a roller coaster that shoots straight up into the sky, and then you crash like an hour later. That has to do with biodiversity and how your body responds to different intakes. For me, I can look at a piece of rice and my blood sugar goes up. There are other diabetics out there who can have rice and it's not that bad. So this is why we need to be very willing to experiment and not blindly trust what the quote-unquote authorities have told us. So I want everybody to do your own research and do your own experiments. Don't just listen to me. Don't just listen to them. Figure out the truth for yourself. Lesson number eight that I've learned is the law of small numbers. I did a whole episode on this a few episodes ago, and I got this concept from Dr. Richard Bernstein's book called The Diabetes Solution. But the gist is that small inputs equal small changes, whereas big inputs equal big changes. So we get wild swings in blood sugar from big inputs, so big carb counts or big insulin injections. And the smaller the inputs we do, the more manageable our blood sugars can be. That's why low carb is so powerful for type 1 diabetics, because we have a low input of carbohydrate, which means not a huge spike in blood sugars. And that's that was the biggest thing that I got out of low carb. Number nine is my year of hiking to figure out lows. That effort took dedication, a clear goal, and commitment to hike every week unless the weather was so bad that it would be dangerous or if I was sick. So I went on 52 hikes in 2022. That was on average one hike a week, though there were some weeks where I couldn't or didn't hike, and there were other weeks where I hiked more than once during the week. That was typically during the summer. And it took... 18 or 19 hikes to figure out how to not go low. And it was the dedication of going over and over again and recording things and paying attention and figuring out how to time my Smarties or how to time exercise mode. All of that was in an effort to figure out how my body reacts to exercise, specifically exercise in the morning. So I did find out that if I exercise, hike, box, orange theory, whatever, if I do that, Almost as soon as I wake up, so within the first hour to three hours in the morning, then my blood sugars are much like much more likely to have a better response throughout the rest of the day, and I'm less likely to go low. So all these things I learned for myself because I took it upon myself to do the experiment. Number 10, self-confidence matters when you have type 1 diabetes. Whether it's driving solo for over 4,000 miles, which is what I did last year, not last, well, yeah, last year, 2022, I did that and I did a whole episode on it if you want to go back and listen. Whether it's that or just going to a new fitness class, being sure in yourself and your skills to handle whatever diabetes throws at you is essential. Number 11, every person with type 1 diabetes needs to learn self-advocacy. So they can stand up for themselves in hospitals, with doctors, and to insurance companies. You know your body best. People have died because they don't want to question the authority of a doctor or a nurse. You might even have to self-advocate to 
like places like your HR department or your college classrooms, your professors, if you find that an accommodation has not happened that should. With standing up for yourself in hospitals in particular, you want to be very clear about the questions you ask and the answers you get and be prepared to cancel something if you don't receive a satisfactory answer. When I had surgery in September of 22, I had very detailed questions for my surgeon and my gynecologist about what things I needed to prepare for ahead of time with my diabetes and things that I was sure that they were going to be taken care of. So I left my, I'm pretty sure I left my insulin pump attached. We put it on either exercise mode or we put it on suspend. I think we had it on exercise mode, but we were making sure that my blood sugar was stable it wasn't too high, it wasn't too low, and I had an IV in, so they were able to hook up a bag of dextrose when my blood sugar started dipping, and they ended up giving me a little bit too much, so then my number went up, and that was fun. But be- being open and communicative with your teams, with your care team, with your surgeon, with whoever it is, that is essential. But you can't do that if you don't know the skill of self-advocacy. And it can be uncomfortable to stand up for yourself. A lot of people don't because it's uncomfortable. But we need to learn how to get comfortable with the uncomfortable so that we don't end up paying a price down the line that we never intended to pay. Lesson number 12, your low snacks will probably change. Your body might not react the same to fruit snacks now as it did 10 years ago. When I was in college, my go-to low snack was actually apple juice. It was one of the little itty bitty cans of, I think it was like an eight ounce can or a six ounce can. It was one of those cans of treetop apple apple juice. Not like the the boxes, but the actual cans. And I would have like armies of those underneath my my bed in, in college. My mom would send me care packages with them because I could just guzzle it. It would be 20 carbs and it would jack my number up. It was a great low snack for when I was in college. I also had a lot of fruit snacks. Those were also really great, easy packets to carry around. And I knew they were 18 carbs per pack and I could have a whole pack or half a pack and it would be really, it would work really well. But over time, those ended up being too much. So once I switched to low carb, you can imagine if I have a 20 carb can of apple juice, my number is going to respond a lot faster and a lot more aggressively than if I have something with fewer carbs. So I had to get rid of using apple juice as a low snack. I couldn't use fruit snacks anymore because those were also too impactful. So they would raise my number up really high and then I would take forever to come back down again. So some things I experimented with in the meantime were honey sticks and Smarties. And I found that honey sticks, while they have maybe like six grams of carb per tube, they made my number bump up a little bit, but it came right back down, sometimes even going further down. So the candy of choice that I have now are Smarties, whether it's a whole roll or a half roll, I know exactly what it's going to do to my blood sugar. It's predictable and it's easy to carry. They fit basically everywhere. I ended up buying like a 40 pound box of them from Amazon. So they just sit in the closet and I have Smarties in every room because right now they are my low snack of choice. One low snack that I experimented with but found out that it doesn't really work that well was chocolate candy, specifically Lindor truffles, which if you've ever had a Lindor truffle, they taste amazing. But I found out that I would have, if I used those as a low snack, My blood sugar kind of did what it did with the honey sticks. It went up, but then it came back down sometimes worse. And that meant I would have to eat more of them. And then, of course, with Lindor truffles, because they taste so good, you want to have more of them anyway. And so it just, it didn't work out. Plus the truffles are kind of expensive. So I just went back to Smarties and Smarties have been, just they've just been really great. 
So just know that your low snacks over time might shift and change depending on what's going on with you at your at whatever time in your life you're in. And it might change depending on if you change the rest of your life as well. Lesson number 13, what it feels like to regularly be in range consistently, like time and range is pretty consistent if you're like uh, 80 to 100% time and range. That is vastly different than if you're used to being high all the time or if you're used to being on a roller coaster. So when I was in college, the amount of energy and focus that my brain used up by paying attention to my blood sugars going up and down was massive compared to how much energy and focus I used after I switched to low carb. I remember being at a group project meeting in college where I could not pay attention because my number was in the 300s. And it wasn't just like a quick spike up and then back down. It had been in the 300s for hours. And I finally had to tell my group that I just, I wasn't feeling good and I had to go. And so I left and went back to my apartment to sleep it off. That was a lot of energy basically wasted on my blood sugar being high. Now, I don't have days like that anymore, but the difference in my body of how I feel between those really high days and my pretty sedate, boring, in range days, it's massive. And then lesson 14 for this, for this time, I learned that time-restricted feeding, which is also known as intermittent fasting, where I eat generally in the morning to early afternoon hours and skip dinner, means that my overnight blood sugars are basically perfect. And this is also uh, paired with Tandem's control IQ software. So it has predictive low, like stops predictive lows and things like that. But my, my overnight blood sugars are basically perfect. And I sleep so much better because I have the time-restricted feeding and I have control IQ. The reason that I eat in the mornings rather than the evenings is just, that's how I found out through experimentation that it just works better for me. I've found that I sleep better overnight if I don't have a full stomach. And when I'm up in the morning, I want to eat something anyway, but I typically don't eat until like eight or nine in the morning, just depending on what's going on. And I finish around uh, one or 2 p.m. or later, depending on, again, what's going on. But not eating in the evening has really helped with both weight loss and blood sugar control and sleep. So those three things together kind of are a game changer. All right, that is the first 14 lessons that I've learned in 28 years of type 1 diabetes. Now it's your turn. What are some lessons that you've learned in your time with type 1 diabetes? Stay tuned for next week's episode where I share the last 14 of these 28 lessons from 28 years. Remember, you control your diabetes. It doesn't control you. Hey, if you like what you're listening to on this podcast, you have to join us in the Half Dead Pancreas Club. It's my private community where you'll connect face-to-face with other people with type 1 diabetes, get personalized emotional support, and learn how to handle anything T1D throws at you. Join us over at inspiredforward.com community. I can't wait to see you there.